Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Thank you for joining me. Happy Monday. And uh, what a great baseball day it is already. Hopefully you had a chance to check in on the uh, early spring duel between Noah Syndergaard and Justin Verlander. It was everything you could want, except only two innings for each of them. Uh, but they both were <laughs> looked like they were in midseason form. Uh, Noah Syndergaard hitting triple digits. Good, good fun uh, here early on in spring training. And lots of news since uh, I last checked in with y'all. It's uh, been a few days, uh, so got a lot of, of news uh, to catch up on here uh, since uh, last checked in with you. Uh, we had a, a first debut from Shohei Otani, and now we've got a second debut uh, today. But gave back to the first one, made his debut as a starting pitcher for the Angels on Saturday. It was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, looked dominant at times. Uh, other times, control seemed to be a little bit off. Uh, had a nasty uh, curveball go in there. Lasted just one and one-thirds innings. But again, remember, everybody's on a really tight pitch count uh, at this point with uh, you know, pitchers making just their first appearances this spring. We'll see them for longer soon enough. Just one and one-third innings for Otani, two hits, including a solo homer from Keon Broxton. So, of course, this was against the Brewers. Uh, that was the only earned run that Otani gave up, but uh, to give up an unearned run as well, two strikeouts and a walk. So uh, certainly some some good stuff there in the Otani pitching debut, but uh, you know, maybe some, some jitters, some adjustment were just one of those uh, you know things where, I don't know, people are like human, you know? So looking forward to seeing more of Shoei Otani uh, on the mound. And uh, today you get to see him at the plate, his DH debut for the Angels. I think that game is actually just about to start. Uh, I'll check in here real quick. Um, all right. Oh, yes. Playing the Padres. And uh, that game just about to start. So all kinds of action already uh, in both Cactus and Grapefruit League. The J.D. Martinez deal with the Red Sox is now official. Uh, that was announced earlier today, Monday. And Logan Morrison has an agreement with the Minnesota Twins. So uh, he now has a landing spot. And, and it makes sense uh, for, for Morrison. Uh, there was a, certainly I mean, the Twins had, you know, I think a, a pretty good lineup to start with. But basically what this does is I think this forces Eduardo Escobar back into a utility role and and Morrison can uh, probably just swap with uh, Joe Maurer first base DH duties with them uh, kind of trading that off. So certainly should be plenty of playing time for Morrison uh, there in Minnesota last year, of course, a big, big breakout year uh, for him, a uh, big fly ball spike. Where have you heard that story before, right? Part of the fly ball revolution. But Morrison also got a little bit more selective at the plate, cut down on the swings on pitches outside of the zone. Didn't really uh, help with his batting average. He did strike out a bit more despite that trend, but he also walked a bunch more. So hit just 246, but 38 homers. So a huge, huge power spike for Morrison. Uh, 
no longer, of course, now with the Rays going to Minnesota. So a couple of parks uh, that are, you know, sort of leaning slightly pitcher friendly, but basically neutral. So that's uh, good development for, for Morrison and, and his fantasy value. Uh, we have some developments just from today's games. Uh, there was a collision between Jaime Candelario and uh, Kevin Gosman. And then so it's left uh, both of them uh, with, with some injuries. Uh, Candelario has an apparent knee injury. And Gosman uh, have not seen anything in terms of the nature of his, his injury, but both left the game. So uh, I'm sure there will be updates at some point today. If they occur during this show, I will bring those to you as soon as I can. And also Yuli Gurriel left uh, today's game early. Uh, or ex- I'm sorry, not even left the game, didn't even play the game. He was scratching the lineup with a, a left wrist injury. Uh, it's termed as left wrist discomfort. So, again, if I see any updates there, I'll uh, bring them to you. But doesn't s- sound initially like it's it's anything too serious, probably precautionary for Yuli Gurriel. But, again, if there's anything more to say about that, uh, I will bring that to you. Uh, some other developments over the past few days. The Reds have signed Ben Revere to a minor league deal. He'll compete for the fifth outfielder job. So that's a very important detail there. Because uh, as I've talked about on the show, there's a, going to be a four outfielder rotation for the Reds. So that was not really the ultimate landing spot for Ben Revere. Uh, I was very curious to see initially uh, once I saw the signing that uh, see what the plans were there. So, yeah, he's not going to be vying for a spot in that rotation. I mean, it's it's going to be Adam Duvall, Scott Shepler, Billy Hamilton, uh, Jesse Winker. So Revere is just looking for, you know, basically the spare playing time. They're competing with Philip Urban for that fifth outfielder spot in Cincinnati. That said, I mean, uh, as long as he gets a, a a roster spot, Revere will have some stolen base appeal. I don't think we're, you know, talking standard leagues, but deeper leagues. Uh, he should, even as a fifth outfielder, play enough. I would think, you know, even in that role could probably chip in with uh, maybe, you know, close to 20 steals. So uh, that's that's certainly something to watch. Last time I was on the air here, uh, I knew that uh, Brent Honeywell had had, I think it was at that point, termed a forearm injury. I don't think at that point they're, they're, the news was out yet that he had the torn UCL. So I'm sure everybody's aware of that by now. He's been recommended to have uh, Tommy John surgery. According to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, uh, I've not seen any further updates on that, but I don't think we can count on Brent Honeywell to uh, pitch anywhere this season. I'd be surprised if he didn't have that Tommy John surgery, but I've not seen anything else to uh, uh, update you on that. The Blue Jays have an agreement to sign Sung Wan Oh, so uh, he's now finally found a home, it appears, although uh, that one hasn't hasn't gone final yet. The Tigers have officially signed Francisco Liriano on a $4 million deal for 2018. He's going to compete for a rotation spot, according to FanRag's Robert Murray. Liriano coming off of um, a pretty disappointing season, 5.66 ERA, a, a strikeout rate that dipped below 20%. And the thing about Liriano in fantasy has been that this has been a guy that you you drafted for strikeouts. The strikeouts were pretty much a given. 
And then it was just a question of how much of a control problem were you going to have to deal with? And also, Liriano been pretty handy with getting ground balls over the years. His ground ball rate last year was just a very average 45%. In fact, I think it's slightly below average. So the, the strikeout rate dipping below 20%, very pedestrian, very pedestrian ground ball average. And of course, then you got the, you know, the ERA. And Liriano could be a risk for a high ERA, even in his better years due to control issues. But last year, there really wasn't much there. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, when he wound up with the Astros, he was pitching out of the bullpen. So uh, a little bit of a development that Liriano is going to be given a chance to start again uh, now with the Tigers. But that's not a given. Could wind up in their bullpen, depending on how that uh, competition shakes out. Uh, the Mets have also, they've added some uh, rotation depth. They've signed A.J. Griffin to a minor league deal. He, too, coming off of a very disappointing season. His second season with the Rangers, a 5.94 ERA and a 2.3 homer per nine innings ratio for Griffin last year. Long ball is always going to be an issue for Griffin. doesn't matter if you put him in AT&T Park or, or Marlins Park or wherever. Uh, he is an extreme fly ball pitcher who's always been prone to the homer. But when he was with the A's earlier in his career, it was somewhat mitigated. And then you had uh, that ample um, foul territory in Oakland. So he got a lot of foul ball outs. So uh, going to City Field, Grant Griffin doesn't really stand a, a very good chance to start the year in the rotation, but you figure at some point he'll maybe get some spot starts, be an injury replacement, and it's it's a great division for him to be in. It's it's a good park. I mean, not one of the best, uh, and it's actually can be pretty good for lefty lefty hitters. City Field, and Griffin doesn't have any particular lean in his splits. Uh, he's had the same uh, ups and downs <laughs> against lefties and righties. So uh, it's kind of a mixed bag for him to go to City Field. But um, certainly better, I would think, than uh, Globe, Globe Life Park in uh, Arlington was for Griffin over the last couple of years. So maybe a little bit of an up, upgrade for A.J. Griffin. Uh, some injury updates for you. Joe Musgrove, uh, he came down with the shoulder issue last week, was termed as uh, a minor issue, uh, just precautions being taken. But again, you know, when you're talking about a shoulder, you definitely want to keep tabs on, on the progress there. And on Sunday, Musgrove threw a 20-pitch bullpen session. And according to Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, uh, threw the fastball and changeup. Felt good afterwards, and so he's graduating onto a 25-pitch bullpen session tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, for Joe Musgrove. Matt Chapman had the report on, I think it was Thursday's show, that he had some discomfort in his right hand. And now, according to Susan Slusser, uh, the issue is a sesamoid bone. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, in Chapman's right hand, he's got some bruising there, but the x-rays and MRI uh, all came out well for uh, Chapman. So it looks like a minor deal uh, that he just uh, needs uh, probably a little time off and, and uh, expressed. But uh, it sounds like good news there for, for Matt Chapman. Dominic Smith has a strained quad and is scheduled for an MRI today. Dan Vogelbach, uh, he had been uh, dealing with a foot issue. But 
he is already back on the field and expected to be playing in spring training games again very soon. So good news for Vogelbach, who would be in the first base mix because of Ryan Healy and his uh, hand surgery. But Healy's already back taking ground balls. So very good news for Ryan Healy making progress towards uh, an early season return, not necessarily opening day, but maybe not too long afterwards. Taking grounders uh, is not throwing yet, is not batting yet. That's going to be a ways down the line, but uh, making some progress. So as I mentioned, uh, lots of action already, uh, particularly in the Grapefruit League games, uh, Cactus League games just getting started right now. So in addition to the matchup with Syndergaard and Verlander, where they both pitched very well. And in fact, I'll try to uh, find that uh, box score to, uh, to confirm for you the uh, the stats on the two, but uh, really good dominant performances from both. Um, there, But also uh, Verlander's former team, the Tigers, that's uh, got uh, some things for uh, us to watch, namely the spring debut of Michael Fulmer, so I'll get to that one as well. All right. For Syndergaard, as I mentioned before, throwing uh, above 100 miles an hour, two hitless, scoreless innings, uh, two strikeouts, no walks. So can't ask for a whole lot more from Noah Syndergaard. And, and that's really great to see. Uh, see him, you know, throwing at, at full velocity in his first spring performance and, and pitching well. Verlander, uh, Two hitless innings, uh, no walks, no score, four strikeouts for Verlander. So they just both looked totally nasty. As for that Fulmer debut, that's also encouraging. He uh, did give up a run, a solo homer. I think it was to Trey, yes, to Trey Mancini. Uh, but that's that's it as far as the damage for Michael Fulmer. Uh, just the one hit, the solo homer. That's the only run he allowed, no walks, uh, two strikeouts and two innings for Michael Fulmer. So I have to say, overall, pretty encouraging debut for him. So, you know, these are the sorts of players that I'll be watching closely early on, uh, you know, players coming off of uh, injury last year. So good news there uh, for Michael Fulmer. All right, well, uh, I've got... A first base preview coming up for you. Didn't get to that on Thursday's show with uh, Nando DeFino and Scott White. So much stuff to cover there. We didn't get to that. Uh, I also wanted to uh, get to a second preview, second base preview last week. So I'm going to get to those both today. And uh, part of the first base preview is I'm going to finally dig in with some detail into the Paul Goldschmidt humidor issue. Uh, that's something that certainly... It deserves as much attention as possible before we really are uh, digging into our, our drafts. Um, and I've already got several drafts going on uh, as well. So you, you may uh, be drafting already. So uh, it's, it's high time to dig into that. So before I get to all that, though, uh, time to remind you that you can create the ultimate dynasty keeper or redraft fantasy league using Fantrax's free commissioner product. Find out how it feels to have the deepest player pool multi-team trades, and player salary and contract options right at your fingertips, all of which are fully customizable. And with Fantrax Treasurer, you can set the league entry fees and safely distribute payouts without a third party, so you don't have to go and track down owners for payment. Best part of all, there's no break in the action. Once the regular season ends, Fantrax leagues are immediately open for the very next season. So find out why Fantrax is the home of fantasy sports and check out Fantrax.com today. And when you do, there's a little 
box at the bottom of the registration form for a promo code. Don't blow past that. Don't overlook it. Just go in that promo code box and enter two simple letters, A-L, Al. <laughs> My name, Ender Al. And what that does is that uh, gets you into the drawing for a chance to win 10 private consultations uh, with me by phone or by Skype. Uh, that's something that I sell over at almelkier.com for $109, a 10 uh, consultation package. Uh, you get that for free if you win the drawing, but you can't win the drawing unless you sign up at fantrax.com. All righty. Well, that's uh, going to be it in terms of uh, the rundown of all the, the news. But like I said, if I have updates, I'll come back at you with those. But uh, I had to break and come back with a first base preview. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And as promised, I've got a first base preview for you. I've got a second base preview for you. And I've also got an update for you on Kevin Gosman. So I'm sure you want to hear that uh, right away. I will get to that right away. And uh, just uh, this right off of Twitter, uh, just from a few uh, moments ago, uh, this from uh, uh, Dan Connolly, a, or, an Orioles uh, beat writer, uh, now with BaltimoreBaseball.com. Uh, so according to Conley's tweet, uh, Gosman has a cut that's about an inch long near his left eye. Uh, Gosman says he's fine. And uh, he says that he hit uh, Jaime Candelario's helmet brim. So that was the deal. And apparently Candelario was uh, behind home plate. He was on, on uh, deck and trying to uh, help a base runner who was coming in from third base. And uh, Gosman was backing up the play. And, and Gosman, I guess, uh, ran into the helmet brim of Candelario. Or out Somehow he collided with Candelario's helmet. So uh, good uh, news, apparently, for Kevin Gosman. I have not seen any further information as of yet about uh, Heimer Candelario. Uh, although he does reportedly have uh, some sort of knee injury. He was favoring uh, one knee uh, coming out of that play. So uh, imagine there'll be tests and any information that I do get in this hour, I'll pass along. So uh, as I mentioned, we've got a first base preview. Uh, before we get to that, I did get, uh, I didn't solicit Twitter questions, but I did get one that I wanted to mention on air because I thought it was a good question. This from at CBO, 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 three CBOs. And at CBO times three, 
I'm just shortening it there, asks, what are my thoughts on drafting catcher tandems in a redraft league, uh, such as Barnes and Grandal? Or do you see, so do you go for maybe those two as a, as a package or do you go and get a full-time catcher, uh, especially if they could be drafted in later rounds? And when he says they, I assume he means the, the second catcher, sort of the, the handcuff option. And, uh, you know, I'll say I'm going to reinforce a point that I've made, I think, several times and probably need to make frequently over the next month or so when we're all drafting. Which is that it's not, I don't think it's really a great idea to go into a draft with the thought that you're going to go after one specific player or even one specific type of player. Whether you're talking about targeting certain categories, t- targeting a, uh, a tandem situation like uh, Yasmani Grandal and Austin Barnes. I, you know, I think you just you have to take it round by round and see what's available right there in that round and who's available later on. But in terms of kind of going in with an idea of what might be the better move, I, I am discounting these tandem situations a bit. So I'm, I'm avoiding them if possible, I guess, is the point. And sometimes maybe drafting Asmani Grandal is the best move. If you feel like at that point in the draft that you're pretty well set uh, in your other positions or you have lo- not lots of fallback options you really like at uh, certain positions, like first base and third base, there's just tons of really great fallback options. So even if you haven't filled your first base or third base or you haven't filled your corner infield at that point, then so yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take a tandem catcher. I'm going to take Yasmani Grandal. I'm going to take Tyler Flowers uh, as another example. And if I need to go in a couple rounds and, and grab Austin Barnes, grab Kurt Suzuki, whatever it takes, I'll do that because I know even at that point, there's going to be some corner infield options that I'm going to be able to live with. So it's really, if that's the scenario, then I think it makes sense. But generally speaking, as thin as catcher is, there are enough fallbacks with a clearer path to playing time uh, that I, you know, that I would prefer. So, um, you know, I've been targeting guys like, well, and I was going to start with Chris Iannetta. I'm not really sure, to be honest, what his playing time situation is. He's the presumed primary catcher for the Rockies, but, uh, you know, he's got a history of not really running away with playing time. So, but Ionetta would be an example of somebody, uh, probably a better example would be like a Christian Vasquez. Um, Robinson Torinos is a, uh, a fallback option. I like a lot if we go a little bit deeper, Tucker Barnhart, if uh batting average or OBP is something you don't mind getting from your catcher instead of power. So I would favor those guys versus just targeting from the outset, a catcher tandem. But again, the, the, the best rule of thumb is actually just to, to scope the landscape as your pick is approaching and, and kind of play it on the fly. So I hope that is helpful. Uh, and one more thing before we get to the uh, first base preview, uh, just the reminder to check out fantasyfactor.com. Fantasy Factor is the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player. They've got flatter prize pools, smaller fields, and single entry contests only. They also run NHL and NBA free rolls every week. Free entry at Fantasy Factor. Just simply sign up and enter at www.fantasyfactor.com. 
com. Let's get to first baseman. <laughs> All right. So my top tier, the order has changed since I really dug into the Goldschmidt question. So, yeah, I am downgrading Goldschmidt. The last time I talked about him, probably one or two shows ago, and I said, yeah, I think uh, you know, I could see downgrading him maybe a couple of spots in the overall rankings. Still my top first base. Now, really think this is going to affect him that much. When I dug into it, uh, I came away with a different conclusion. And it's interesting because I went on Twitter. I think this is on Friday when I was initially going to do, or actually, I'm sorry, Thursday, when I was initially going to do this first base preview. And I put Goldschmidt's splits, his career splits at Chase Field and compared to the, compared those to his career splits at the toughest uh, ballparks for right-handed hitters in the National League. And I included uh, seven of them. The uh, Giants ballpark, AT&T, Dodger Stadium, Petco Park, PNC Park, Bush Stadium, City Field, and Marlins Park. So those are all tough places for right-handed hitters. And on the surface, it doesn't look like there's that much difference. Okay, so here's uh, let me just go stat-by-stat to compare rather than dump a whole line at you and and have you try to remember. So Goldschmidt's career batting average at Chase Field, of course, this is pre-humidor. Everything's pre-humidor. 299. On the road at those tough NL pitcher parks, 295. So virtually no difference, four points difference. Uh, This is over 1,979 plate appearances at home. And for that cluster of tough ballparks, tough uh, hitter parks, uh, 1,036 plate appearances. So big examples. All right, 299 at home versus 295 in the tough ballparks. On base percentage, here's where we see a much bigger difference. 411 at home, 386 in the pitcher parks. 411 versus 386. Okay, so it doesn't get on base as much. Slugging percentage, also a more notable difference. 548 at home, 511 in the tough parks. Again, not a bad line. Let, let's recap the line in the in the tougher parks. 295, 386, 511. Not bad at all. Notably off of what he did at Chase Field, but you you know you you'd take that. Uh, the BABIP for Goldschmidt higher at Chase Field. 361 versus 340. But 340, you'd be you'd be happy to get that over you know basically what's two full seasons worth of at bats in really tough ballparks. 340 BABIP. Home run to fly ball ratio, very similar. 20.1% at home, 19.6% in the tough road parks. But uh, you did note there was more than just a little bit of separation in the slugging percentage, and that's because Goldschmidt was more of a fly ball hitter at home. So the home run to fly ball ratio wasn't discernibly different, but the fly ball rate was. Okay, so to sum it all up, WOBA, Capturing all elements of Goldschmidt's offense at Chase Field, 403. Superb. And those difficult parks, 380. So again, pretty clear picture that when you compare, it's it's notably worse on the road, but still very good. 
And also, just one more thing in this comparison. I also broke down the parks individually. I'm not going to go through all these stat lines, but it was a mixed bag. He actually has put up really good numbers in San Francisco, at Dodger Stadium, uh, and at Bush Stadium. And then uh, at uh, City Field, terrible numbers. <laughs> terrible numbers. 307 career WOBA in City Field uh, over 88, uh, 88 plate appearances. So, you know, much smaller sample, and maybe uh, over time he'd do better there, and over time he'd do worse, you know, someplace like AT&T Park. Uh, but, you know, that's why when you, you, you put it all uh, together. Uh, Mike Flurry, you got an interesting question. C- can you join me here for a second? Yes, I can. That is good. I'm so glad because I actually meant to bring that up. And I, and I was going to blow right past it. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> so what, what the, the question you were asking me here online uh, about Goldschmidt's numbers at City Field, which are just awful. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, do you think that's because the Mets pitching the last couple of years has been tougher than those other teams? I think so. And unfortunately, I didn't I didn't dig into it. I didn't do a BVP on it. Um, I mean, bear in mind also that this this is 88 plate appearances since he was a rookie. So I think there's probably been some ebbs and flows in Mets pitching over that time. But um, that was something that did occur to me when I saw it. But by the same token, Dodgers have had some pretty good pitching over the last few years. And his numbers are great. He has a 413 Woba at Dodger Stadium and a 325, 396, 571 uh, slash line there. So I, I'm going to chalk that really bad number, set of numbers at City Field up to at least some just small sample weirdness. But I, I, I don't know what I mean. So you, you've heard me go through all these numbers. What do you think about Goldschmidt now going into the humidor? Uh, I do worry a little bit. I think if you want to bump him down and use it as like a tiebreaker with like an Arenado and those other high-end guys, I'm okay with that. But I still think he is a first-round pick. I agree it's a first-round pick. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter said, anybody who put, who moves Goldschmidt outside of their top 10 is, uh, I forget what it was, yeah, needs their head examined or is wacky or something like that. And I'm like, well, I've got him at number 11. <laughs> so I moved him from number three all the way to number 11 because basically when I, 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 you know, I looked at that and I thought, well, he's probably going to have still a little bit of a home split bump just because hitters generally hit better at home. But I think even when you account for that and you account for the fact that Chase Field might become as bad as the worst of any of these ballparks that I was just talking about. Could be, you know, the new Marlins Park. I think when you factor that in all together, you got to expect that his overall numbers are going to look kind of like those splits from the toughest parks. So, because he's going to, you know, he's still going to hit a lot at Dodger Stadium, AT&T. He's still going to hit a lot at Petco. Now he's got a home park that's going to be tough. Um so I think instead of being a 400-plus Woba guy, I think he's going to be about a 380-plus Woba guy. And for me, that's enough to put him behind Votto and Freeman. It's really close. But, it, but also, he'll still be good enough. I'd rather have him than Anthony Rizzo. And I don't know. To me, that's still saying. Like, I think he's, he's a first-rounder. I still think he's an elite hitter. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Does that, does that pass the smell test? Yeah, I think you did a good job of breaking that down. 
<laughs> Thank you, Mike. No problem. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's my number three first baseman now, my number uh, 11 player overall. So my top tier now goes Votto, Freeman, Goldschmidt, Rizzo, and Cody Bellinger uh, at the end of that tier. And then if you don't uh, you know, manage to pick up Cody Bellinger, you move on to the, the second tier. And um, to, for me, that's uh, Jose Abreu, Reese Hoskins, and Edwin Encarnacion. So I, I'm glad I've got you on here, Mike, because I do want to ask you about two players. So one is Reese Hoskins and one is Matt Olson. And some folks have elevated Reese Hoskins up with that big five group of Votto, Freeman, Goldschmidt, Rizzo, Bellinger. I've got him in the second group. And to me, there is a distinct difference there. Some folks have Olsen with the second group. I've got him with the third group. So what tiers sound right to you for Hoskins and, and Matt Olsen? I hope this isn't a cop-out, but I think it kind of depends on the, the <laughs> format that you're playing in. Because in like a points league, a guy like Matt Olson takes a big hit because he strikes out so much, where Hoskins doesn't strike out nearly as much. Uh, in Roto, I think that's where you could you could make the case that Olson belongs in that second tier. But I'm with you; I have him in that third tier because of all the strikeouts. Yeah, I mean that's a good point, and uh, I think it was Greg Jewett. In fact, I know it was Greg Jewett that I had on the show maybe a week or two ago, and he talked about the the lefty splits for Olson that aren't very good could be a threat to his playing time. So, uh, you know, there's all kinds of risk with both of them. There's especially risk with Olsen. I just can't see putting him in up there with um, uh, Encarnacion at the back of, uh, I'm talking about Matt Olsen now, uh, putting him, you know, up with Encarnacion at the back of the second tier. Uh, I think, you know, Hoskins definitely is roughly on a par with Jose Abreu once you uh, factor in the the risk of just you know lack of experience and a lack of a major league track record for Hoskins, but those the the skills are just so good <laughs> that uh, I would you know I had to give it a second thought really about whether or not he's really ready to be a, a part of the elite. So uh, well, Mike, I appreciate the input. I really appreciate you reminding me to talk about that Mets pitching issue. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Maybe I'll have time to break that down more in the future. But I've uh, still got some other first base info for you. Who are some of the good fallback options, the late round flyers who could be a bust. And we'll uh, break down the second base position as well. So don't go anywhere. All of that is coming your way right after this break. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. We're talking first baseman. Got the uh, great insight from Mike Florio in the last segment. Uh, maybe I'll call him again this segment. We'll see how, how this goes. Uh, I've got a little uh, news item for you. Uh, no update, by the way, on Harmer Candelario. 
uh, just yet. Did have good news uh, on Kevin Gosman as he and Candelario uh, collided in today's uh, game uh, between the uh, Tigers and the Orioles. So uh, nothing too bad there uh, to report as of yet. But uh, I do have a report here from Brian Hawk of uh, MLB.com that Clint Frazier has sustained a concussion in a game against the Pirates and uh, has a quote here from manager Aaron Boone saying, I would say it will be a few days, but I'm also pretty optimistic. So let's hope Clint Frazier is uh, okay, uh, even though he's been uh, diagnosed with a concussion. So uh, I'm sure we'll have more on that uh, in the coming days. And my goodness, just right now, I'm seeing Felix Hernandez is coming out of the Mariners game, uh, was hit with a comebacker on the right arm, being attended to by medical staff. Uh, seeing that on Twitter from John Heyman. So uh, let's uh, hope that the pace of injuries uh, slows down. Uh, we're, we've just started these spring training games. Uh, so that's it uh, for right now, as far as that all goes. But um, yeah, let's uh, finish up here talking about first baseman. Uh, talking earlier about the first three tiers, uh, certainly all, you know, even when you're talking about somebody like Matt Olson, who has a whole, whole ton of risk, uh, there's also you know, just a whole lot of upside there. There's a whole lot to like. Uh, I know some folks are saying that, uh, you know, round seven, round eight is too early for Olson. There was one mm-hmm. league very recently where I took him in the sixth round. That was a 15 teamer. So, you know, if you convert that to 12 teams, then, you know, you are talking about that, you know, round seven, round eight uh, uh, type of, of, of neighborhood there. But, uh, you know, in a league where I was looking a little short on power in the early uh, in the early rounds, I had no problem taking Olsen at that point. So you've got, uh, you know, a third tier with Olsen and, and I put Miguel Cabrera at the top of that tier. Um, Will Myers, Olsen, Eric Hosmer. And then to me, that's really where you you have something of a drop-off, either just because of upside or because of um, inconsistency risk, health risks, what have you. But there's still a ton of good options. Uh, I would not be panicking if I missed out on the likes of uh, Cabrera, Hosmer, Myers, or uh, Matt Olsen. You, uh, you, know, you want some power? Justin Bohr still coming Pretty cheaply. I think he's underrated. In fact, in the fan tracks piece that I wrote about my top sleepers, uh, I included Justin Bohr in there because I just think that the discount that's now being applied to him, probably because of playing in a depleted Marlins lineup, uh, I just think it's too too harsh. And there's still a lot of potential power and run production there from Justin Bohr. Ryan Zimmerman, I mean, last season really being discounted by people, really being overlooked. Ian Desmond, I will admit, I am part of the problem there. I've been very reluctant to take a risk on, on Ian Desmond, but uh, you know, as recently as two seasons ago, very uh, good production from him. So as long as he proves to be healthy this spring and there's, I don't see that there's any reason to think he's not Desmond's a, an awfully nice uh, fallback option. And if you wait till the late rounds, obviously now you're dealing with players with more risk, perhaps more flaws, but you know somebody like Yonder Alonso who broke out last year, people are pointing to the second half drop off, saying that they're not buying it. That's good logic. I will admit that I think that's very good logic uh, because basically if you're going to bank 
uh, on a player with one year that's really aberrant from the rest. And not only that, but you can break down that one year and say, hey, the bulk of the production happened in only three or four months of that year. Yeah, that's a risky player. But Alonzo did back up the changes he made last year with the stronger fly ball profile and hard contact. And I think there's I think there's something there. He did finish strong last year, which to me mitigates the worries about the overall second half numbers. So he's a very worthy risk late in the game. I've talked a bit about CJ Crone before on the show and his late season surge that was fueled by more of a pulling uh, profile, more of a fly ball profile. Uh, maybe go in. Maybe he's he's 2018's answer to Logan Morrison. <laughs> Not just because he's going to be playing first base for the Tampa Bay Rays. Jose Martinez seems like he's the most talked about overlooked player. <laughs> that you know he's he's still going late, and everybody loves him as a sleeper. And yet every draft I'm in, he's still there really late. So I still think, and I've said it over and over again, that. Uh, his skill set is going to force the issue for the Cardinals. And whether it's Paul DeYoung or Dejan Jerko or maybe a Matt Carpenter injury, whatever it is, uh, there's going to be something that allows him to get his playing time. As far as bus go, there's there's not really a whole lot. And by the way, I should say in terms of late, flower, uh, late round options, I also really like Chris Davis too. Uh, but in terms of first basemen that are over, uh, oh, being overdrafted, I don't think there are really too many. But the most egregious one to me, and I debated this a little bit with Scott White on last Thursday's show, Justin Smoke. Uh, you know, if we're going to downgrade Yonder Alonso because of an out of nowhere season that was very uneven, same thing for Justin Smoke. The the extra power, the uh, the big drop in strikeouts that only applied to part of the season. And yet he's getting all the benefit of the doubt. Alonzo's getting none of it. And yet I see them as being very similar in value. So there you go. Uh, We've got a good amount of time here to cover second base. So we're going to do it. But first, a little message here about DKMS. LeBron James is a four-time NBA MVP. Mike Trout is now a two-time AL MVP. While you'll never be either, you can still be an MVP of your own because you can save someone's life. By going to DKMS.org today, you can learn what you can do to help. Six out of every 10 patients will not receive a bone marrow transplant. We want to change that, and it all starts with you. At DKMS.org, you can register to become a bone marrow donor, and it only takes one minute. You can sign up online, and DKMS will send you a swab kit. Then just swab your cheeks, send it back to DKMS, and that's it. It's that easy. So please go check out DKMS.org slash FNTSY and join the more than 950,000 others that have signed up to be bone marrow donors. All right. Second base moving around the horn. We've done catcher. We've now taken care of first base. Second base is it's to me sort of in the middle of uh, all the positions in terms of depth, uh, you know, in in terms of uh, the, the fallback options. I mean, there's some very, very good, uh, elites, clearly. That's why they're elites. Uh, so, you know, it's not as uh, is, is thin as catcher. Uh, I think it's a bit deeper than shortstop. Uh, but it's not, you know, first base or, or third base in the sense that, you know, like I was just talking about with first base. You miss out on the first three tiers, first four tiers. That's all right. You know, you can 
get a, a Yonder Alonso really late. You can get a Chris Davis really late, and, and there's still a ton of upside there. Second base, it's, you, you got to have your uh, expectations uh, reset a bit. But it all starts with the big four and little four. The little four is not so little. It's just that's the second tier. Uh, but the big four, of course, Jose Altuve, he is the consensus number two player overall. He appears to be a bit regression, regression bound. And even so, even with that regression, uh, Altuve, I don't see how you, you draft anybody number two. I mean, now that it's very clear to me that Paul Goldschmidt should not even be a number three or anywhere close to it. Who, who are you going to draft number two? I think not, not Trey Turner, not Nolan Arenado, not Clayton Kershaw. Uh, to me, it's, it's clearly it's, it's Jose Altuve. Uh, now, something to keep in mind, by the way, last year, Anthony Rizzo had 10 appearances at second base. So that wasn't enough to make him eligible for opening day on any of uh, CBS, ESPN, or Yahoo leagues. But something to think about. For, you know, in season, if Joe Madden deploys that funky shift again and Rizzo, you know, picks up, say, five games there, which would be enough in in most formats, just just something to think about, because then that obviously turns your big four into a big five. And uh, that's just one more reason to love Anthony Rizzo in the second round. Um, That's just a point, actually, I want to make in the first base uh, coverage that I, I didn't say, which is. That not only is Rizzo an elite at first base, but uh, I mean his consistency is practically unmatched, uh, especially vis-a-vis the players that you're looking at with similar ADP in the second round. So this is just one more reason to give Anthony Rizzo that maybe a little extra nudge when you're weighing your your second round options. Uh, but uh, anyway, so Jose, Jose Altuve in terms of players who are second base, base eligible, uh, far and away behind Mike, Mike Trout, the the best player to take overall, number two overall, and really far and away the number one second baseman. And then the rest of the big four, or maybe the the gigantic one and the big other three. (laughs) So Altuve sort of towers above the field. But then the next three, you've got uh, Jose Ramirez, who I uh, rank as number two, and, and that's pretty much the consensus. And then you've got D. Gordon and Brian Dozier. And there's not so much consensus about who you would target if both Altuve and Ramirez uh, are off the board. Now, you could certainly break it down by format, as uh, Mike uh, Mike Florio was talking about uh, in, in regards to Matt Olson in the uh, in the prior segment, uh, that D. Gordon clearly has the edge in, in Roto. Uh, or I shouldn't say clearly has the edge, but he's clearly uh, better in Roto than he would be in a points league. In fact, last year, in CBS points leagues, Gordon was just the sixth ranking second baseman. Now, also, again, with Gordon, keep in mind, he's going to be playing center field this year. He'll have that added eligibility, which uh, maybe is a, another point in his favor. Uh, but in, uh, in points leagues, Dozier is is clearly the superior option to Gordon. In Roto, it's kind of interesting. If you look at steamer projections, which are available on fan graphs, Gordon's projected as only fifth in Roto among second basemen. But also, Steamer projects Gordon for just 78 runs, which seems very conservative to me, and a 280 batting average, which is a little more realistic than the 78 runs, I think. Uh, But that also seems a bit low. 
So I would say in the proverbial vacuum that I would rather have Gordon than Dozier in a Roto League, but it's real it's very, very close and probably driven by what I've done with my first two or three picks. Um you know, if I'm coming up on you know, probably fourth round, but if it's like late in the third round, those two players could both still be available. And uh, you know, if I didn't have any steals, I'd probably go Gordon. But if I had some players with even some moderate steals and I kind of built a nice little, you know, foundation to, to build on, uh, I might go Dozier there. Or if I was light on lighter on power, you know, if I took a pitcher, uh, one of the big four, let's say, with either my first or second round pick, and I, I was worried about power, I might go to Dozier. So that's really the tiebreaker for me with Gordon and Dozier. There's not a clear, uh, you know, kind of runaway consensus player uh, who should be third behind Altuve and Ramirez. Uh, so that's how I would handle that in Roto. And again, in points leagues, it's it's a no-brainer. Uh, so there, there's your, your big four, Altuve, Ramirez, Gordon, and Dozier. And then it's really a, a bit of a drop-off to the number or to the second tier. And then there's your what I would call the little four. Jonathan Scope, Daniel Murphy, Whit Merrifield, and Robinson Cano. Now, that's not how I would rank them. That's how they're showing up in ADP. But I think Mur- I don't really get it. Murphy, ain't, well, actually, I get it with Cano. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I don't really get the distrust in Daniel Murphy that people would go with Jonathan Scope, who I do like, and I do buy into the improvement he made last year. Um, and I did take Scope over Murphy in one draft where I needed power more than, than batting average. But again, in the, in the vacuum, I'd, I'd rather have Murphy than Scope. And I'd rather have Cano, too. Uh, last year was interesting for Cano because it, it created sort of clarity on the surface that uh, Cano's a player in, in decline. The power was down again last year. The batting average was down a little bit. The run production was down a little bit. But again, you look under the hood, the average fly ball distance was, was the highest in three years for Cano. Uh, his exit velocity was no worse than it had been the year before when he had the little power burst. And really, the, the, the main difference between last year and the year before for Cano was launch angle. Sold out a little bit for power. I mean, that's, that's an overstatement, but he was really going for the power in 2016. But he had a lot of, showed a lot of strength at the plate last year. I think it's very deceptive. I think it makes Cano a sneaky, low-key bargain this year. Um, I would rather have him than Scope or Merrifield. But I still think all of them are very close in value, and they make up a tier. And then once you get past them, you know, you're looking at a Rugnet Odor, who you know has some upside last year was you know pretty objectively disappointing. He's just 24. I hold out some hope that he can reverse the uh, trend of increasing strikeout rate. You've got him. You've and then you've got some very steady types like DJ LeMahieu, Ian Kinsler, uh, and then you, you know uh, Jason Kipnis, who could be steady as as long as he's healthy. So he's one to watch closely. Jonathan VR, who apparently had some health issues last year, so looking like a really nice bounce back candidate. Scooter Jeanette, if you want to wait a little later, is is a great bargain. So there's some nice players for fallbacks, but they're you know, there's li- I'd say aside from VR, there's limited upside, 
and I do see myself targeting VR in, in some drafts lately. So, um, you know, uh, in terms of the, the second base position, there's there's where you have your upsides. Jonathan VR. I have a little bit more to get to. I'll, I'll tack it on to tomorrow's show. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, enjoy some uh, Cactus Lee play. If you haven't uh, gotten to watch some baseball yet today. Anyways, take care. Be back tomorrow. <laughs>